You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison, as always, as we look back at another damning defeat for England in the Ashes. We'll hear from an understandably frustrated Joe Root, as well as both Ben Stokes and David Milan, and we'll discuss what changes England need to make or can make for the third test in Melbourne. As well as that, we'll speak with England fast bowler Kate Cross, ahead of the Women's Ashes, and discuss what's going on in South Africa. So plenty to get stuck into as always. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2. Well, this time it was 275 runs by which England suffered defeat in Adelaide. And I've had the misfortune of, of having to listen to my uh, co-presenter, Harmi and John Norman, Pick through the bones of another wrecked carcass um, every day on the following on podcast at the end of each day's play. You've probably said it all and you probably don't know what else you ha- have left to say, but you've had 24 hours to sleep on it. Let's leave the Melbourne test for the moment. We'll, we'll come on to that. It must have been just desperate for you, having lived through and survived a, a 5 miller, to see possibly something similar unfolding. Yeah, it it has been. And the one thing I can hold my hat into, my 5 0 was against Warren McGrath, Ponton, Gilchrist, Hayden, Langer. This is not the Australia of old. I think this is a, as good a chance to go and beat Australia in their own back garden, especially at Adelaide with no Hazelwood, no Cummins. I thought this was a great chance for, for England to go and win and level a series. And I still think, you know, there's a lot of people talking about 5-0 and it, there's a good chance it could possibly be 5-0. The one thing I'm holding hope on is that more miles is getting into legs. Our preparation was horrendous going into this series and it feels as though players will just be getting sort of body-hardened test match ready about now going into what is the next test match. So I, I hold a bit of hope there that England will be better. I thought that would be better in 
in Adelaide. But the fundamentals of the game don't need too much preparation on, which is, first of all, pick the right team. No matter what Chris Silverwood says, I'm sorry, some of the comments I heard after the game were just baffling, really, really baffling. But the fundamentals of the game, you don't really need too much preparation on, which is you know, looking at the surface, picking the right team and catching the cricket ball. There are three things they don't need too much preparation on. In England, all three have been shocking. And you know, on a green seamer to pick, no, to pick a spinner, a balanced attack, then to go on a flat one to pick five out-and-out seamers and then justify saying you would pick the same team again if you had the choice. It's frightening, absolutely frightening. Well, on the subject of fundamentals and basics, you know, um, Joe Root was obviously very down after the defeat. Um, and this is what he had to say about England making the same mistakes over and over again. You're looking at half a metre at times when you're in the moment of things and the amount of times that they did play and miss and we beat the bat again. It can be frustrating when you feel like you're doing the right thing. I think we just have to be that little bit braver, get the ball up there uh, and you know, accept that every now and again we're going to get driven. But the skill and the ability you have, we're going to create chances. The most disappointing thing for me is, is the amount of no balls that we keep bowling and the amount of chances that we've, we've missed again after the back of last week. We have got the ability. I don't think that Australia are that much better than us in these conditions like the score lines might have suggested in these two games. We, we are better than how we've played and we need to front up at Melbourne and put in that performance, which um, is a better reflection of, of the ability in that dressing room. That was Joe Root, understandably frustrated. And they have been making the same mistakes uh, over and over again. Only he and David Milan have really scored any runs uh, worth, worth the reckoning, really. Um, you know, England have used 25 players in Test cricket in 2021, and only two of them average over 30 in that time. Um, it's been a, a desperate, desperate year. Joe Root's obviously going to be feeling a lot of pressure. Um, you know, he's been building up. You remember at the start of the summer, rather embarrassingly, Chris Silverwood said that uh, playing against New Zealand and India would be great preparation for the Ashes. You know, playing against numbers one and two in the world uh, is great preparation for the Ashes. And Joe Root's been building towards this. He's been asked about the Ashes for at least uh, a year, if not a year and a half. We'll know his fate, obviously, at the end of the series. But at this point, do you think he's wondering about stepping away from the captaincy? And would that be the right thing? I think it would be for him. I'd, I'd be selfish if I was him. If I was advising him, I'd be looking at it and think, do you know what? Have they looked after you? Forget the team. Have they, have they looked after you? You've missed out on playing 2020 World Cup. You know, Joe was basically asked to step away and have his rest time around white ball in 2020. Could have gone to the IPL, made a hell of a lot of money. You know, Joe's got a few quid. Joe will be quite comfortably well off. England captain. You know, I never have to worry about the financial for the rest of his life. But, you know, he had to give up not going into the IPL auctions. At the end of this series, if I was advising Joe Root, I'd sit him down over a beer and say, you know what, maybe just maybe let this team go whichever way the ECB want them to go. Because at the minute, the ECB don't want this test team going anywhere because of 25 players, like you mentioned. Everything that's gone against the England test team has gone against Joe Root. I'd advise him to go and put himself in this next IPL auction and say, right, I want to play cricket for England. I want him to come out and say, I want to play England, cricket for England, all three formats. Put pressure on the selectors and say, right, I want to play in all three formats. You can take the captaincy, 
Yeah, somebody else's turn. I've had my go. I've done the best I possibly can. My record as captain is there for everybody to see. Most wins. Yeah, I've got a lot of losses. And my baton has been up to the standard, everything that needed to lead this cricket team. If we want it to go a different way, then go a different way. And that's what I'd be saying to Joe as, a, as an individual, because I don't think the ECB have looked after the, the, the test captain with what they have had in place over the course of when Red Bull cricket schedule in England, when players get rested. We got, we, we've, gone to it, we've gone to India, we've gone to Sri Lanka and gone with, with a wee keeper for the first test match in Joss Butler and send them home for three test matches after that. Just mind-boggling things. Our treatment of Mo and Ali for two years. Two years we've, we've checked that kid badly. And what's he done? Retired just before the end of the Ashes. <laughs> we've, we said we'd come back from the Ashes in 2017, not pick four 80-mile-an-hour bowlers. That was our mistake. We've, not, we've learned from our mistakes. And what have we done? We played three of them in the same test matches four years later in Adelaide. And you're shaking your head stuff. So where the captain goes from here, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. The England cricket team need Joe Root more than uh, Joe Root needs that side of it for me. And that's something he has to consider because I just wonder, if Joe Root doesn't captain this side, who on earth is going to do it? We're going to come on to that. Um, I'm going to ask you that, that question later, but I, I, knew, I knew you wouldn't be able to hold back. I mean, it does seem like a ridiculous idea. It was unfortunate to hear Joe, the batsman, criticising the bowlers um, at the end of the chess match. I think the bowlers had better moments than uh, many of the batsmen, most of the batsmen. Ricky Ponting then said that uh, Root's not being strong enough. He said, you know, if your bowlers aren't performing, you're the captain. Uh, you need to make them for, uh, or encourage them. You need to somehow get them to perform um, one of the criticisms was that England bowlers bowled too short and there was a sustained spell of uh, of short pitch bowling from Ben Stokes. This is how he explained the decision to, to go that route. You know, obviously trying to to create a different type of, not energy, but create a different type of environment out there for the batters. You know, it does look odd when you're trying to run in and bowl, <coughs> you know, 11, out, 11 overs of, of short stuff, but... You know, obviously, first couple of spells were, you know, I felt like I created, you know, quite a lot of chances and wasn't really going anywhere. It wasn't until the third spell and maybe today where it started to leak a few runs. You know, you can create chances and leak a few runs by, you know, trying to hit top of off as well. That was Ben Stokes explaining his uh, short pitch barrows that he he, he um, turned to um, at, at one stage in both test matches. And it is a legitimate tactic. I mean, it is, uh, you know, there, and it... It worked, in a sense, against Manus Labuschagne. He got really tied up, didn't score a run for 30-odd balls. It, it, but it's wickets that you need. Uh, 100% it's wickets that you need. It could be a good, it's a good tactic to hide the ball sometimes. I've had this conversation with a few fast bowlers, out-and-out fast bowlers, and Mitchell Stark does it perfectly. And my, my theory, when I, when I used to go into a test match, I'd look at it and think, right, I'm, I, could, I could go for 40 off the first six overs, not bothered. I'm really not bothered. If I go full, I go short. I'm going to go with three slips, a gully, two slips, two gullies, short leg. And I am going hell for leather, first six overs of a test match to try and take wickets. I'm not bothered where the ball goes. If it goes for runs, if I concede 40 in my next six overs or the middle of the afternoon, I can bowl four, three bounces and over and hide the ball. Only bowl three balls, three balls and over where the batsman can get at it. I'm hiding the ball. Not much is happening. Because I'm quick, because I'm tall, it'd be very, very difficult. So I can hide the ball and go to and over and bring me figures back if I need to be there. The criticism of the bowlers from Joe's point of view 
I'd have been waiting for him at the top of the stairs if Vony had said that. If Vony had come out and said that after what we had just done, I think me, Hoggard, Flintoff, Jones would have been standing at the top of the stairs and Michael wouldn't even got through the threshold of the door after what had happened because they did bowl a fraction short. But if you keep dropping catches, hands up, as a bowling unit, take the two on the chin that we overstepped, made a mistake, got a wickets with no balls. That is the cardinal sin. You've got size 12s, get something behind them. But to say that they bowl too short, they've created 10 chances in eight and a half days of Ashes Test Match cricket. 10 chances. And they haven't been taken. When that comments are made like that, and all of a sudden there's a batsman v bowler divide, because the batsmen go, you know, the, the bowlers go, well, the batsmen aren't catching it, first and foremost. So we're having to bring our lengths back because every time we every time we pitch it up, we either get driven for four or we potentially could create a chance, which isn't getting taken. But then you also look at it and you go, well, hold on. Not only are you not dropping catches, on a flat one, you've gone for 230 and 195. So you're not doing your job properly. Then all of a sudden, this whole thing goes up in a team meeting. And maybe that's what it's needed. Maybe it needs that, just to go in a team meeting and go, right, you're not doing your job properly. You're not doing your job properly. And then potentially come to a, come to a standoff where everybody's had this here. And you, as a team, you have to then move forward. Because at the minute, you've got the captain blaming the bowlers. I imagine the bowlers are not happy with what the captain said. And then, you know, Nets could be, Nets could be quite volatile. It could be good, good fun and good viewing to watch. Again, you're, you're going, instead of going against Australia, you're going against yourself. And that, for me, is what's happened with this England team so far. They're beating themselves. Final thought on this section then comes from Graham Thorpe, who um, defended the selection of the starting eleven in both tests. We picked the right team for uh, for, for this match, and actually I, I thought on another day uh, we could have grazed the edge uh, uh, more and it could have been uh, different on day one. But uh, it was a nice a mixture of a going past the edge and also... Thought they played very well. A little bit of a rub of the green, but they played very well. Well, you know what? Uh, I guess you might say he would say that, wouldn't he? And Chris Silverwood would say what he says about team selection. But there's no harm in saying we had legitimate reasons for selecting the team we did, but we got it wrong. Let's actually move on from Adelaide and let's turn our attention to the MCG. I won't ask you what changes England should make, first of all, Harmi. Um, because first of all, I'd like you to to document what changes they could make, what's available to them, and let's start with the batsman. Yeah, the batsman. You go. You've got Crawley who could potentially come in. You've got um, you've got Lawrence who potentially come in. There's a lot of talk about whether you bring in somebody like Vince from the BBL and Mahmood from a bowling department. But do you know what matters? The way I look at it now, and the way I would go with it now is, I think I'd bring Crawley in. But I wouldn't bring Crawley in for the obvious one, which would be Burns. I'd bring Crawley in for Hamid. I think Hamid, he batted quite well in, yeah, left the ball quite well in Brisbane. And then, yeah, he's nicked the one. He's nicked, he looked fidgety, low hands, got caught mid-off. He hasn't had a score. I think I'd want, I'd want to bring, try and bring, bring Zach Crawley in and give him a go and see what, if there is anything changes at the top. And I'd leave Burns in. And I'd leave Burns in for the reason of, I would go with Burns, Crawley, Milan, Root, Stokes, Bairstow and Butler. And I'm basically going to my six most experienced batsmen there. Ollie Pope looks as though 
he, he's fidgety. He looks as though he's struggling a little bit, struggling for a little bit of rhythm, struggling for a little bit of form. The pressure of Ashes cricket might just be getting to the young man. He's undoubtedly a massive talent. But I think at this minute in time, it just seems everything seems to be going against him. So I take him out of the firing line, bring Best to win as, a, as, as an experienced player. And I'm basically saying to about six of them, there's probably only Ben and Joe that might be going back in four years' time. The rest of them, this is your last Ashes. This is your last Ashes go. You'll not be here in four years' time. You're experienced. We need you to stand up now, stand up and be counted. And that's the way I'd go. So I'd go with the most experienced men possible in the biggest occasion that there is in an Ashes, Ashes series, which is Boxing Day Test Match. England win the toss back first on Boxing Day. And you have 98,000 people there. And if they're under any sort of pressure and they've got any, any apprehension about going out in the middle and they're, any, any sort of, they're a bit fidgety, all of a sudden, yeah, MCG gobbles you up. So that's why I would go with the most experienced. But that doesn't mean Lawrence, Lawrence is out of the equation because I think I would imagine he'll be, there'll be questions whether he comes in and Butler goes out and Bairstow keeps. But not for me. I go with my six most experienced players and I bring Crawley back in to go at the top instead of Hasim Hamid. Joe Root, um, not surprisingly, and I think he he means this when he says that uh, he still believes England are good enough to win test matches in Australia. We have to believe. We have to keep looking to, well, first of all, we need to learn and we need to learn fast. We, we can't make the same mistakes that we have done so far, but we have to absolutely believe and then and have that same attitude, as I mentioned, that we went about today with. Because if we do that, I'm, I'm convinced that we've got what we need to, to win test matches over here. But we're not going to if we keep missing chances um, and we don't give ourselves an opportunity to get into the test match with the bat. We've got to find ways of building those partnerships, getting in, uh, making big contributions. And, you know, that's, that's something that we will have to do very well at Melbourne. But as I say, um, a lot of today has, has given me confidence going forward. See England captain, he did stop short of saying we can still win the series. And you know, you of course you you believe that. I'm um, I'm guessing, Harmy, maybe when you were three nil down or or, or four nil down, maybe, maybe you did wonder whether it was going to happen on that tour. Mm. Um, I don't know how well you remember because we have a tendency as human beings to um, erase the worst memories from our from our minds. Um, but do you remember? And can you empathise with? how these players might be feeling having been belted in the first two test matches. Can you compare it to how you and your squad felt when it happened to you? Absolutely. 100%. I've said it on following on all, all week that, you know, where Josh Butler's heads at, where Rory Burns's mentality is at this minute in time, trust me, that t-shirt's mine and you're not even close to where I got, you know, you've got to remember what, what happened first ball in Brisbane. And to walk on the field every single day, knowing that's gonna that's happened, and you've got to do it again and again and again. Our families were with us at the time, and I think that that hindered some of the team from a team point of view because you couldn't get round the lads. It was, you know, you played, you trained, you went back to the hotel, you didn't see the lads again until the next morning. So it wasn't like a boys on tour. It wasn't the lads like getting around each other. Um, it wasn't that usual cricket tour feel. So. Look, it is a, it's a difficult trip. It's a difficult tour. I still think, and, I, and when Joe says they can win games, I think they can. I, this is not a... And when you, you mentioned that 2006-07 trip, Manners, we were, we were minus Michael Vaughan, Marcus Triscothic, Simon Jones, Ashley Giles from 18 months previous. 
and they were ready for us. And it wasn't just anybody ready for us. This was arguably one of the greatest sides of all time, ready for us in their own back garden. And when we were 2-0 down, we were staring down a barrel of 5-0, and I don't think anybody give us any hope and a chance. And even though we had passages of play in that series, we just weren't good enough to, to sort of get ourselves in a position to win the game and get ourselves over the line. I don't see that with this England side. I think England, this England side has got it in them to win games over in Australia. I just think the preparation, Ben Stokes, for example, is the prime example. Everybody's asking, oh, well, is he fit? Is he, he's hobbling around. He's hobbling around because he hasn't done anything for six months when it comes to competitive cricket. And he's one of the fittest human beings in cricket. There's no substitute for 90 overs in the field. He's had to field 150 overs and bowl 25 overs in an innings. Everything's going to hurt, no matter how fit and how sore you are, uh, how strong you are. It's going to hurt. And that's what the cricket does to you. So I just think that, like, when you get a resource ready for the gallop, ready for the big race, you get ready for that first test match. And this is what preparation games and, you know, interstate games and, you know, first-class games going into it. That's what they, these do. They do to get you to the first test match. Unfortunately for England, I actually think England now are ready for the first test match, but they're 2-0 down. I think you'll see England get better and better if, this, if they can drag themselves confidence-wise off the floor. And I think that's going to have to change very, very quickly in, in Melbourne. One of the plus points, one of the positives, of course, has been uh, the form of David Milan. He hasn't got 100 yet, but uh, he's got in twice. This is what he had to say about batting in Australia. I feel like when you bat in England, sometimes a ball can pitch on fourth stump and it can hit your middle stump, your off stump, your outside edge, your middle, your pad, whatever. Um, whereas out here, it's, it's traditionally slightly truer that if it pitches in one area, unless it's swinging or reversing it, you can tend to trust um, the trueness of the wickets. Um, you know, whereas in England, that sort of in-between length can get you inside or outside. Yeah, and that's the challenge of batting in different countries. Do you think Test cricket is or should move more firmly towards specialist players? Um, and, uh, you know, in very much the way that we do with uh, T- T20s and ODIs, uh, you know, that you just move these players en masse, on block, uh, into the T20 team. And, you know, you don't even consider them for other formats. Um, but I'm talking about specialist players for for conditions in test cricket. So, you know, you you absolutely unashamedly pigeonhole players and you go like, right, Jennings, King Jennings, you, you're going to open um, on the subcontinent um, uh, and uh, you, we're not going to play you on on anything quick and bouncy because you always nick off when you cover drive and uh, and, and Milan for, for Australia. Um, you know what I mean? Ready to develop specialist test cricketers for certain conditions. That would only be a last resort for me. If your player's not good enough to play all formats of the game and play, then your team's not going to be good enough. In, in, in my opinion, you know, could you say to somebody like Matthew Hayden and Justin Langer, no, you're not going to go and play. Well, Langer played, just played test cricket, but he had to go at one day cricket. You know, you know Ricky Ponting, teams that I played it with, the likes of Triscothic, who was seen as a hard-hitting opening batsman. Now, Trez, you just, you just concentrate on white ball cricket. You know, one of the best test openers going for a simple fact. You hit the ball, put bowlers under pressure. This is the this is the beauty about the game of cricket. So, and and this is for me again. Every time we get beaten in the Ashes, county cricket gets a hammering, and it's nonsense because the players that play the game, there's good players in the system. You'd argue when it was played, that's wholeheartedly argued that when it was played, not to get our spin bowlers and our and our bowlers 
you know, in, in times where, you know, put them under pressure. But I look at this side, you know, Rory Burns is a, Rory Burns is a, is a fifth, is a red ball cricketer. Doesn't play white ball cricket. Jack Crawley, red ball cricketer at the minute. You know, Hasim Hamid, red ball cricketer. Ollie Robinson, red ball cricketer. Jack Leach, red ball cricketer. Jimmy Anderson, Craig Overton, Stuart Broad, red ball cricketers. So when you look at it in the grand scheme of things, we have got a lot of red ball cricketers only in this 17-man squad. And I think we had seven or eight in that team at Adelaide who are red ball specialists. So that's where you know, when, you, when you say, oh, pigeonhole people for that, and you know, then you just bring you know, the, the white ball, you know, your, your gun players, the roots, you know, root red ball cricketer. He doesn't play very, very, plays very little 2020 now. So we have got specialist red ball players. We we just we're just not not performing on that front. But I do get the point that somebody like a Jennings in the subcontinent, Hamid in the subcontinent. But if we're going down that route, then I'm I'm thinking, well, if they're not good all round cricketers, can play all around the world. We want to develop players who can do that. We've got to be looking for players that can do that. Uh, the other thing is to win in Australia, to win against Australia, you need to be able to bully the bully. Um, and, you know, Ben Stokes has just, it would have been futile for him to launch a counter-attack. He did try um, briefly, but, you know, he was man alone. You need, so that was why, I mean, you mentioned Liam Livingston um, before the squad was even selected. and He would have been your outlier um, because he, he hits the ball hard and he's prepared to counter-attack. So lots and lots. I mean, the one thing is that England mustn't in a situation where they look back and they've lost the series and they say we should have done this we should have done that particularly we should have played Mark Wood in the second test and not saved him anyway we'll come on to all of that uh, and I'll get your thoughts on it Harmi um, as we move through um, you're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talk Sport 2 with me Neil Manthorpe and Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison and next up we'll turn our attention to the other Ashes the women's Ashes and speak to England bowler Kate Cross you're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport 2 with the Institute of Cricket. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June 
which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados. Truly the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe and Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison. And if you have missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast, as always, from the following on feed, now available via the free Talksport app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm delighted to say, as promised, at the top of the programme, we're joined live by England bowler Kate Cross to have a look at the other Ashes, the one that's going to be successful, the one that's going to be... Uh, okay, all right. Won't put too much weight of expectation on Kate. Thank you so much for joining us. England have named a 17-strong squad um, for the Ashes, and uh, it's all going to go ahead um, without any hiccups, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, it is. Obviously, there's a little bit of worry around at the minute with COVID kicking off again in England. But um, we actually had a call on Sunday night as a team where we were saying we know the prep's probably not going to be what we wanted it to be um obviously the the main goal at the minute is to get on that plane on the 7th of jan so um we're taking it as it comes but we're just having to be reactive like everyone else in the country is as well you're saying your, your preparation's going to be going to be good there's a there's a lot of you going out there so you can pre- prepare together is there an ear, ear an ear group going out there as well which is that better that you're preparing with each other or would it be better to prepare against a first, you know, another women's side, um, Australian women's side. Yeah, it's we've done something really similar to what the guys did with them taking the Lions squad over as well. And this is the first time that we've we've done anything like this. We've always gone over and prepped against a team that Australia have provided for us. And we've mm. generally found that that's not really been up to the standard that we would expect to then play against in an Ashes. So I think the idea behind it is obviously to get our best preparation. But the other level of it is we thought we'd be quarantining for two weeks. Um, we still don't actually know what our quarantine looks like yet. So if we then had to be in bubbles and play cricket, we would need an opposition to play against. So it's it's the safest way that we're going to be able to prepare and hopefully the best way that we can prepare as well. And the likelihood as well of injuries going through an Ashes series means that we're going to have players, the, the A-team will be over there in case there's any kind of disaster, which needs means we need more players there. And you start with the first test match. Is the first test match, is that... A good thing that the test match is first or because you, you get there and like the, the, the men's preparation wasn't the greatest, does that hinder a little bit if COVID does become a little bit stricter and you, you get a bit disruptive of your uh, preparation? Yeah, it's interesting, actually. I've not, I've not quite thought about the format because when we first started the multi-format series of the Ashes, we had the, the test match in between the white ball stuff, which I found quite strange as well. But this time we're doing test match T20, then one day cricket. So you've got quite a stark change in format going from test to T20, obviously. But I think that's, again, the beauty of the the format that we have our Ashes is that it's the team that adapts the best. And 
it's the all round best team for me because the point system means that you've got to be good at red ball cricket and both formats of white ball cricket. I guess the, the only saving grace for us having the, the test match first is that you want to go out there and have your skill set that is the longest format first. So it's not like the batters have to go out and be really striking the ball from ball one, say if we played the T20s first. So I don't. it's an interesting question, actually. I don't know what the correct answer is. I'm just looking at the... At the, at the schedule, um, you say you're leaving on the 7th. Um, and as I said, everything's going to go according to plan. Um, and you will leave on the 7th. The th- that, that test match, the one-off test match, doesn't start till the 27th. So, you know, obviously it's planned for 14 days of quarantine. And then six days of... I, I don't know whether you'll be able to practice and train and play practice matches while you are quarantining. So, the, I mean, that's a long time. That's a, that's a heck of a long time before the, that one-off test. Yeah, it is. But I guess from from a player's point of view, it's been a long time since we've played competitive cricket. So we've got a a longer period to adapt to the conditions. Um, Obviously, we saw with the men, they they didn't really get that opportunity with the rain that happened up in Brisbane. So um, hopefully we don't have anything similar to that and we actually get the opportunity to be outdoors and, and get used to just the conditions because we, we went to Oman last week and had a two week training camp there. And it probably took us three or four days to get used to being back on turf, you know, not being indoors at Loughborough. And there is a big difference. Steve, you'll know what it's like going from indoor centers to, to then actually playing on grass. It, it does take a few days to adapt. So um, hopefully that, that time that we've got before the test match starts, will just get us as best prepared as possible. Yeah. The indoor center, I must admit, Indoor Centre was a horrible place. And not, to be fair, you never got a chance to bowl at anybody because nobody wanted to face you indoors. <laughs> so that was the, that was always the challenge. You end up having to bowl at cones and it was like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm just, the preparation's not very good. But how was Oman? Because I'm hearing great things about not just the, the place itself, but actually the facilities are, are supposed to be really good out in Oman. Yeah, it was incredible, actually. It really took me by surprise. Um, we were supposed to be going to Lamanga, so it was quite a, a difference, I think, with temperature <laughs> for where we were supposed to be going. Um, but obviously, that that's the, the heat preparation gave us a little bit of a taste for what Australia would be like as well. Um, but yeah, the ground was absolutely gorgeous. One of the best I've played, I think. Um, and they couldn't do enough for us. It was it was genuinely a really good experience being over there. And obviously, they just hosted the the qualifiers for the World Cup. So they're a country that are taking their cricket seriously now and, and want to be um, part of, of World Cup cricket and hopefully playing international cricket soon as well. I just want to remind people who aren't familiar with how the, um, the, the Women's Ashes works. The one-off test match is worth four points and then there are two points for each of the three uh, T20 internationals and another two points for each of the three ODIs. The test match is in Canberra and you move to Sydney, Adelaide and Melbourne and I don't, I don't want to draw you into a comparison with the men's team, but just give us an idea of whether you are widely regarded as as underdogs, or, or whether you think it might be. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming it'll be a lot closer. I think I actually, I'm not just saying this to kind of take any pressure off, but I do think we're underdogs going into this. Australia, they've beaten us quite convincingly in the last couple of Ashes that we've had, and we, it was, I think it was 2014 when we last retained them over there, so. Yeah, we've got a lot of work to do. Obviously, we need to win the series to get the Ashes back. A draw is not going to be good enough. So we're going to have to play our best cricket to win the Ashes, and we're well aware of that. Um, and then on the back of that, we know we're going straight into the World Cup over in New Zealand. So we've got we've got a lot of serious cricket coming up that people need to be peaking at the right times for. Like I said earlier, I think the beauty of our Ashes series is that the, the multi-format and the point system means that 
you've got, I guess, a chance to come back. You've, you know, if, if red ball cricket isn't our speciality, which it's not, just through the nature of not playing much of it, then we know that we've got a strong white ball team that can go and, and hopefully capitalise on good pitches over in Australia. So, yeah, it should be a good series. I'm hoping it's a good series. I think as a cricket fan, more than anything, the, the, that's what's been more disappointing about the men's series for me is that it's it's not felt a spectacle to watch, which you want the Ashes to be. Um, so as a women's team, we obviously want to go out there and, and provide a bit of entertainment as well. I don't want to put uh, any extra pressure on you, but um, you uh, you have a very good record in the red ball cricket, the chess cricket that you have played. Um, and you mentioned 2014, you uh, led the attack uh, with a, a six-wicket haul um, when you won the test match in Perth. You then did something similar against India, didn't you? So um, I think the... I think the rest of the team might be looking to you to uh, take the lead again. It's funny that it was a really long time ago now. It was nearly seven years ago and I'm still hanging my heart on that. that. So, um, no, it's, it's really special when we get to play red ball cricket. And I love that format of the game because there's games within games and you kind of you miss a bit of that in T20 cricket and one day cricket. So I love the element of, you know, the peaks and troughs and ebbs and flows of test match cricket. We obviously only play four days, which is I think is a, a massive shame. I think we're nearly getting to the stage where we could play five-day cricket now. But, yeah, it's, it's it's a great place to tour, and it'll be, actually be my first Ashes series over there since 2014. So it's it's been a while, so I'm kind of chomping at the bit now to get on that plane and get over there. And how's, in, from an individual selfish point of view, how is your preparation gone? Um, ready for, for this? Because I, I heard you say a couple of times last year, which amazed me, you said, you know, this feels like a breakthrough, your breakthrough into the, the England team. Uh, I'm not going to say your age, you can say it if you want. But, <laughs> <laughs> but how, how's Kit feeling, you know, body-wise going into, like you said, which is it's going to be a demanding series? Yeah, I've actually, I've got a lot of confidence after the season that I've just had. Um, I have used that term, it felt like my breakout year, I think. Everyone assumes when you get into an international team that it's then that's it, you sorted and you set. But I think it's probably taken me a good six, seven years of playing international cricket to understand myself, understand my role in the team. And I've kind of spoken about the the role in the one day team that I've got is that Liam Plunkett middle overs role, which kind of came about from the 2019 Men's World Cup, didn't it? It kind of got created by Liam. And I really enjoy it. I find it a real challenge, but like a really enjoyable challenge that I've kind of thrived off and found some success in this summer. Um, so I think just having, for me, cricket's all about confidence. You know, if you're confident going into a series, that's a great start. But but yeah, as a 30-year-old now to say that I'm I'm breaking into an England team, um, it's a bit strange to say, but it, I've just, I've really enjoyed my cricket, which is the main thing. You've done a bit of media um, around this this test series for the uh, for the, t- the TV. What have you made of what's happened out in Australia over the last eight days of Ashes cricket? Yeah, it's been, as an England fan, it has been tough to watch, hasn't it? And I think there's, I think Matt Pryor mentioned it so many times, but it's the hope that kills you. You know, oh, you get up to bed and you set the alarm and you think, oh, when I wake up, we'll be in a good position. And the, the thing that I was saying when I, w- I was working on the test was that it, it feels like we're starting to get the processes right now. So the men, you know, the batting lineup for me is what's been most disappointing. They've not been able to extend those partnerships and bat for long periods of time and we've lost wickets in clusters. And you think of that from a fielding point of view, you always say to yourself, add two wickets onto a score here and it completely changes the the feel of the game. And that's what it feels like Australia have been able to do when England have been batting. Um, but it does kind of feel like, you know, Joss having that innings, it's, we're just starting to, I guess, have the preparation that we needed weeks ago. So hopefully 
the MCG can be our fight back, can be the, the turning point. We can maybe have a Ben Stokes heroic moment um, and get ourselves back into the series. I was just going to say um, that uh, there are some really exciting young players. I mean, there's the established stars, and I include you in that, even though you've only just uh, had your breakout year. Um, but, you know, Charlie Dean, Sophia Dunkley, uh, there's been a lot of attention on Izzy Wong as well. Um, so, you know, I mean, the women's game is looking really bright, strong. Yeah, it is. And I mean, Izzy was over playing in the women's big bash uh, just couple of weeks ago now um so she'll meet up with us in she's part of that a team so it's it's great that um we're now seeing more domestic cricketers who are getting paid to play cricket now which is amazing from the women's point of view um it's great to see them going and experiencing australian conditions and getting the opportunity to be put under more pressure because i think historically as, as female cricketers we've not had um the platform the crowds the tv coverage to put us under as much pressure as the men get put under quite regularly so I feel like we it's quite a new experience for us and you know that came pretty much from the 100 this year um kind of got thrown in at the deep end playing in front of 17,000 18,000 people at Lords etc but it's just it's just a really nice phase to be involved in the game it's been you know we've only been professional since 2014 so it's, it's a really short journey that we've had but it's been quite momentous in in how far it has come in that time um and the excitement I guess is where we could be in another five years time so, yeah, it is a great place to be. And, and the, the depth that we've now starting to blood from those tournaments like the 100 or the Rachel Hayhoe Flint Trophy, um, they're just gonna, it's going to pay dividends in the end because we're getting bigger squads going out to Australia and, and more talent to pick from. So it's only going to stand us in good stead. Kate Cross, thank you so much for your time. We'll be watching, we'll be waiting, and uh, we'll try and uh, temper our expectations. But um, the very, very best of luck. In some ways, I can't help thinking that the first 20 days when you're not, not actually playing competitively, it might be the hardest. I think once you get into the schedule, uh, then I think it might become a little bit easier. They always say that playing can be easier than not playing. Yeah, and it's obviously an amazing place to travel as well. We're very lucky that in a in a situation like we're in at the minute, we're getting to go over there and, and still play these big tournaments. So, yeah, I think we're pretty privileged with that as well. And hopefully the sun shines. <laughs> Happy days. Very we wish you well, Kip. We Thank wish you so you well. much. Uh, we did mention that uh, we would discuss what's happening in South Africa, the SJN hearings, uh, short for uh, Social Justice and Nation Building. Um, uh, there will be, Cricket South Africa have confirmed a formal investigation into the conduct of Director of Cricket, current Director of Cricket, Graham Smith, and the current head coach, Mark Boucher. Um, but both will remain in their roles for the Test Series, which is about to get under uh, about to get uh, underway against India, starting on Boxing Day. Amy de Villiers was also mentioned um, as somebody who had engaged in conduct that was prejudicial and discriminatory on the basis of race. That's according to the man who was in charge of the hearings. Um, although he did say that all of his conclusions could only be tentative and could not be confirmed. All very unsatisfactory, and I'm sure, Harmi, probably all quite confusing. Absolutely, Manners. And you know, like I said, this is your neck of the woods, your your expertise out in there. For anybody in England listening to this, or anybody listening around the world, I think we want to know simply what it means for South African cricket. I think that's, you know, we don't really fully understand, and you probably know more about this. So you're probably the biggest, the best expert to talk about it. Uh, well, um, Graham Smith, as captain of the test team in 2012, when you remember uh, in England, when Mark Boucher's career ended with uh, when the bail went into his eye, 
Tommy Tsolekile was on that tour as designated reserve keeper. Graham Smith and the selector, the chief uh, selector at the time, former opening batsman Andrew Hudson, decided that A.B. de Villiers, if he kept wicket, and they felt he was as, as good a keeper as Tommy Tolikile, and obviously he was a superior batsman because he was superior to most people in the world at the time. If he kept wicket, he would bat in the top five, as well as Jacques Callis, enabling them to play a seventh specialist batsman and part-time spinner in J.P. Dumini, and effectively to all intents and purposes, play a 13-man team. And, of course, they went on to uh, become world number one. Smith maintains that the decision for de Villiers to take over as keeper had nothing to do with Tommy Tolakile's race. A.B. de Villiers found himself in a similar situation on a one-day tour in India where the reserve batsman... Uh, was Kaya Zondo. The series was levelled at two matches apiece. Um, there was an injury to J.P. Dumini, and de Villiers felt that Kaya Zondo, another black batsman, uh, was not the right man to make his debut in a series-deciding match. So he preferred and is prevailed upon the selectors to choose Dean Elgar as a replacement, another white player. Um, they both insist that they were purely cricketing decisions, although the ombudsman has found that there is a suggestion that those decisions were also race-based. Um, as far as Boucher is concerned, he was uh, part of a, a dressing room that uh, used derogatory language against um, Paul Adams, the, uh, the left-arm spinner. So very, very difficult, very confusing, very upsetting. You can understand both sides of the argument. You know, Tolikile was the designated keeper, reserve keeper. Kaiazondo was the de the, the uh, nominated reserve batsman. The captains at the time insisted at the time and always subsequently that their decisions had nothing to do with race and that they were purely cricketing decisions. And I don't think it'll be resolved. And what it means for South African cricket is more pain, I think, more mistrust, um, a longer period of healing. I think uh, South African cricket will be paired with Yorkshire cricket uh, for the next uh, couple of months or years. I move. I, I don't I sound like I want to move on very quickly. We've got a lot to get through in this final section. I mentioned Yorkshire there. They have mm. teamed up, Yorkshire County Cricket Club have teamed up with the Lahore Calendars, um, the um, Pakistan Super League side. And it's it, it, this, it, this, according to the press release, anyway, it's very early days, but they've got a warm-up game in Lahore scheduled uh, for um, January the 22nd. There are player development um, programs. Uh, this this is not window dressing. This is a full-on serious partnership that's being formed here between these two clubs. Yeah, it has, and it's brilliant. Well done, Goffey. Absolutely brilliant. Well done, Darren, because if anybody thought Darren was going in there for a tracksuit... Um, and, a, and a, a nice comfy desk and a comfy chair. He's hit the ground running. And you look at, the. I think straight away, they've got what Yorkshire signed has, uh, Harris Ralph overseas to play domestically next year. That's a great signing. I think that kid's a bowler. I really think he can bowl. So he'd be difficult to face at Headingley. And yes, you know, it's, it's, not a, it's not a tick in the box exercise. I think this is a proper partnership. And Darren's, I think he's pulled a rabbit out of a hat here. I think he's, he's really, as, as Goffey does, he doesn't you know, settle for small things. He goes and reaches for the stars and 
you know, sometimes he doesn't quite get there, but this time I think he's getting a good good deal out of it. So good on he always Darren Goff always gets a good deal out of it, to be honest. <laughs> no matter where you go in the world, if you want to go away with anybody, go with Goffy, because I can guarantee not only do you travel the best, you look the best, and you you know, you you yeah, he obviously he looks after you as well as he does. So I'm I'm chuffed a bit for me old mate Darren Goff. Other bits of news uh, to catch the eye this week. Ryan Tenderscarter, um, Essex legend, has uh, been appointed Kent's batting coach. Um, just feels like minutes after retiring. Andy Flower has been named head coach of the new um, IPL franchise in Lucknow. Um, interesting developments at Sussex uh, once again, um, with Ben Brown terminating his contract. Bit of a legend there. 157 first-class games, 2200s, an average of 40. He's uh, seeking... Fresh pastures elsewhere. Um, but on the positive side, uh, Sussex have re-signed Rashid Khan for the Blast and Mohammed Rizwan as well for the County Championship and the Blast in 2021. Good That's signing. That's a good signing. That is a good signing. Mohammed Rizwan, what a signing that is. If, you know, I didn't think it was going to get any better than Rashid Khan. That is a proper signing. It's interesting because I thought Sussex was only signing you're know, 19 to 21-year-olds or you're a, a, a grandson of, of one of a former legends. So... Look, things, you know, Matty Pryor's been criticising the, the, the Sussex board and things that are working at Sussex. And it's dif- it's, it's disappointing to see Mike uh, Ben Brown leaving because he had a good year last year. He scored a few runs first class for, 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 for Sussex last year. But two unbelievable signings that will put bums on seats. You know, Rizwan going in at the top, up there with him and Baba Razam, forged a great partnership at uh, Pakistan. And everybody wants to watch Rashid Khan bowl in 20. 20- 20 cricket, don't they? So down on the south coast, the sun will be shining um, and the cricket will be exciting. Lex Pimbola and a batsman that whacks it out of the park. Good on Sussex. Very good for them. Um, I tell you what, these new franchises are uh, going for the for the big signings in the IPL, Harmy. Um, you've got the CV in? No, I've not got quite got a CV in just yet. Um, but it's a good one uh, that, look, now we've got um, Andy Flower. They've also got, I think, out in Gambia is their... I don't know. What mentor. Mentor, yeah. Again, IPL is going to take over the world. Give it five years and we'd be playing two IPLs with maybe 12 or 14 teams. So watch this space from that point of view. Is it another nail in a coffin towards test cricket? Time will tell. But my old mate Andy Flower, it's a, he's a good good signing because he's a he is a top coach. No matter what Kevin Peterson says, Andy Flower is a top, <laughs> top coach. And he will be good at a new franchise, putting his stamp on on proceedings in uh, in India. And finally, um, and I'm going to very much steer away from saying uh, we're finishing on a sad note because it's a career that should be celebrated um, rather than uh, anybody feeling regret that it's come to an end. It's been long. It's been varied. It's been inevitably entertaining. Um, it's had some some highs and lows. But uh, Bumble will no longer be part of our, our our living rooms or where or our man caves or wherever we follow the cricket on TV. Yeah, it is. It, it's so sad that he's he's decided from a just from a purely selfish point of view. It's so sad that he's retired. He's gone through the generations of the way cricket has been played, has been talked about and been understood, and every single. Time it's moved on, Bumble's moved on with it, and he's gone with it with perfect tone, beautiful description, and unbelievable enthusiasm. And for me, 
it is going to be a sad day when you don't have Bumble and Test cricket is meandering along and there's nothing much happening. You know that Bumble's coming on in 20 minutes and he's going to excite you by somebody eating an ice cream or drinking a glass of champagne in the crowd or wearing a, a daft tie or a, you know, a stupid costume because that is the beauty about listening to, to Bumble. No matter what's happening on the field, if there's nothing much happening, he will make something happen in your living room. And I tell you what, it's going to be good luck, Rob Key, and that sky, my old mate, Rob Key, and that skybox, because boy, have you got some personalities in there now. He's going to have to give it some to go in that, just to live up to Bumble, because um, I'm not sure the, the funny the funny jokes and the um, the quick wit with Atherton. Hussein, Ward and everybody else that's going. It looks like it's up to Keezy to, to take on Bumble's mantle. But, you know, congratulations, Bumble. You've been, for me, been one of the best voices this game's ever had. But, uh, you know, it's, it's another sad ending to a, a voice of, of my upbringing into, in, into cricket because there were the Bumble, Michael Holden. He's, Bumble's Bumble's statement was unbelievable. Again, just typifies the man. But he said about Gower going, about Beefy going, about Mikey going this year, and then obviously the sad passing of of our great friend Bob Willis. He felt as though it was time to go, and it was probably the last. Vo- it's probably the last voice of my upbringing of into cricket is uh, is finally hanging up the mic. So congratulations on a wonderful career, Bumble. Absolutely endorsed that. It just remains uh, for us to wish everybody um, a happy festive season and uh, the very, very best for the new year. You've been listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and the great one and only Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll be back at the same time next week. But for now... We wish you all a very Merry Christmas and thank you for listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism and this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final... You can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you are keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.